I'm going to give a shit tonight on what's called the Pneumius of Lushen Hara. Now, until we know, until now, we know that fundamentally, Lushen Hara, we know that if a person speaks Lushen Hara, then there's what's called Midikanegin Midor. In other words, if you speak Lushen Hara about somebody else, then the Sutton can Makatre, can prosecute you, Midikanegin Midor. If you badmouth somebody else, then he immediately has permission, Menashemayim. And that's basically the way he operates. He can badmouth you. He can degrade you. He can makatreg, which means prosecution. Now, of course, once he's makatreg you, that's what's called ma'iridin. It invokes the judgment. And you are judged. <coughs> if you are found guilty, then of course, you, a person is probably punished. Unless a person has certain <coughs> merits whereby the judgment itself is suspended. But if a person doesn't have merits, then he is appropriately punished. In addition, <clears throat> what happens, which I had mentioned elsewhere, is that when the Sutton is able to pronounce, or rather when a person is pronounced guilty, that's the Psagdin, the verdict, then the Sutton is able to be unique, to nourish from the Kedusha of that person. That's, and therefore, he thrives, he grows in tremendous might, Tigbur Sarah. Depending on what the Jew has, the Kedusha that he has, the Sutton can be unique from that Kedusha. And uh, depends, depending on the Kedusha of Klai Yisrael, of Jews in general, the Sutton can be unique from that Kedusha. We had seen what it looks like if the Jews have the Shekhinah, and the Jews speak Lashin Hara, and the Jews are found guilty in the sense the punishment is that they have to lose the Shekhinah, then the Sutton can be unique from the Shekhinah itself. And the result is that he can found new ideologies, new religions. Give it to the Yom so that they can use to try to get Jews to leave their religion. I'd once mentioned also that if the Sutton is unique from the Old Mashiach, which begins to come down quite a while ago, in the year 1240, if he's unique from that Kedusha, which he is, then he's able to found new ideas or the entire scientific revolution. But all these ideas really were basically mentioned on the previous Lashon Hara tapes, which are four in number. What I want to go into today <coughs> is the Pneumius of Lashon Hara. Why is it we find that Lashon Hara is fundamental to the Gu'ula? We find that, for instance, by Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, that the reason why the Jews got out of Egypt is because they did not speak Lashon Hara. As the Medrash says, that the Jews were redeemed from Egypt, El they didn't speak Lashon Hara. The question is, was Lashon Hara merely a schus which the Jews had to get out of the Geula? Or was there something inherent in the Geula process itself which demands Shmir Salashen, not speaking Lashon Hara? That's the question. And the answer really is that there is. Shmir Salashen is inherent to the Geula. It's necessary for Geula to take place. And the question is why? What is the panemius of Lashon Hara that makes it so devastating, as we will see, and makes it so necessary for the Gula process itself? Now, in order to understand the panemius of Lashon Hara on a different level, more than what we had discussed before, about the fact that if a person speaks Lashon Hara, it creates Kitrig and Din and Yanika and so on, in all kinds of ways. It's more than that. 
There is a dimension of Lashnara which is very important to understand. But since it's primius, it requires a certain amount of ideas, which most people are not familiar with. Therefore, in order for me to introduce this topic, it is necessary for me also to introduce certain fundamental ideas, which again most people don't know, so that when a person understands these ideas, he will be able to understand the primius of Lashon Haram. Now, these ideas are found in the primius of Torah, the internal framework of the Torah. They are also referred to as Rosendirais, so the secrets of Torah. And basically, they are found in what's called Kabbalah. Now, we know what Kabbalah is. Kabbalah really is the esoteric, mystical doctrine of Judaism. That's really what it is. And as such, of course, it's what's called Rosendiraisa, the Seid HaTira, the secrets of the Torah itself, which was given at Sinai, of course, and transmitted from door to door, even though for a time it wasn't transmitted or was forgotten. Certainly with the advent or the discovery of the Zoya, the rediscovery of the Zoya, of course, um, it began to again receive much more giloy or revelation than what it always had. So these ideas which I want to talk about really are found in Kabbalah, but they're ideas which are very necessary to understand, in order to understand really the primus of Lashon Hara. The first idea which we have to understand is the concept of spheres, or sphera in the singular. What spheres basically are, although there are many ways of looking at it, is that the Rabbanish creates ten forces. Ten forces which they themselves are the fundamental fabric of all creation. All creation are made of these ten forces. All creation. Not only that, but these are forces. These ten forces, they themselves create the Bria. Of course, these ten forces themselves are given their Metsius, their existence and their energy from the Rabbanu Shalom. But these are the forces that create the entire Bria and they are really the entire uh, structure, internal structure of all creation, these spheres. Now, there are ten in number. Now, a lot of these ideas I'm only going to touch on in a superficial manner, just to ex explain uh, what they are superficially, and then go on. Certainly, here's not the place for any real kind of in-depth treatment. Uh, so, what I'm going to do, of course, is I'm going to limit myself in giving explanations of them, only to suffice to explain the premise of Russian horror, because that's really what I want to get to. That's my objective in this particular shear. In any case... These ten spheres emanate from the Rabbanu Shlam. They form the underlying structure of all creation, and they are fundamentally ten forces. And the names of these spheres are, they are ten in number, Keser, Chochmah, Bina, Chesed, Gvur, and Tferes, Netzachah, Yesoid, and Malchus. Uh, the f um, okay. These are the ten spheres, and that's what they're called. Now, <clears throat> What is important to understand in these spheres is the following, is that these spheres themselves, or forces, create reality. But these ten spheres create, creating reality, it depends on what level. What does that mean? The first level that the ten spheres appear is called an oilam. <clears throat> at that level, at that level or at that oilam, reality looks a certain way. What do I mean? 
these ten spheres or ten forces create reality. Now, when they first appear, the reality they create is an incredible kind. It is a reality in which the presence of the Rabbanu is completely revealed. The greatest amount of revelation of the presence of the Rabbanu possible. That level of reality, which is comprised of ten spheres, is called an Olam, a world. I mean, it's an existential reality. And as I said, at that reality, <clears throat> the presence of the Rabbanu is completely revealed. That reality is called, in Russian Kabbalah, Odom Kadmoin, or Primordial Man. Without going into why it's called Primordial Man. But it's called Odom Kadmoin. That level of reality, in which everything is understood as emanating from the Rabbanu Shalom, and it's clear, there's no Hester at all. There's no concealment of the presence of the Rabbanu Shalom. The Yichud of the Rabbanu is completely revealed. That is really the level in which we will see in Ulam Habo. Ulam Habo is really that level. It's Odom Kadmon. That's Ulam Habo. In any case, that's the first level of reality, which the spheres create, so to speak. Then what happens is the spheres are transformed, or they get grosser, thicker. And what happens is they create a second level of reality, in which reality is perceived differently. The Rosham again is perceived as a Yichud, However, it's not as clear as it was in Adam Kadmon. I'm not going to go more explicitly in the difference between Ulamas. However, just um, some kind of explanation as I go down. That second level of reality is called Atsilus. The, the spheres then create a third level of reality, and that reality is called Bria. Then it creates a fourth level of reality, a different existential set, where the presence of the Rabbanu is perceived at a lower level, there's much more Hester, that's called Yetzirah. And the last level of reality, of course, is our world, which is called Asiyah. Therefore, the spheres really uh, create all these levels of reality, and they themselves change or become thicker as they sort of, uh, you can use the word descent, as they uh, change and become more and more gross, then the reality changes, the amount of perception of the Yichud of the Rosham changes, and of course the Hester, the amount of concealment, of course, grows with each reality. That's very simply what's called an Olam. And an Olam means, of course, comes from the Hebrew word Helem, concealment. Because every Olam conceals some aspect of the Rosham. Now, <clears throat> when we take a look at these ten spheres, what is important to know is that there is a difference between the spheres. We distinguish the spheres in terms of the first three, which are called the Gimel Rishonis. That is either Kesseh Chochmah Bina, some people count it that way, or Chochmah Bina and Das, Chabad. So either it's Kachav, Kesseh Chochmah Bina, those are the uh, Rosh Hashanahs of Kesseh Chochmah Bina, or it's Chabad, Chochmah Bina and Das. Some people count the first three one way, some people count the first three the other way. In any case, these are the Gimel Rishonis. And the Gimel Rishonis are the highest of the spheres. And they themselves inject or transmit or what's called the Mashpia. And a Shefa means a divine force or an influence. They send their Shefa or Hashpo to the what's called the Zayn Tachtonis, the lower seven. So you have the Gimel Rishonis, which are the first three. And they send their Shefa, 
or their koyach, they send into the Zayin Tachtoinus, the lowest seven. And the lowest seven are Chesed Gvur and or what is called Chagat, Netzach Hoyisoid, what is called Nahi, and Malchus, which is the seventh. So you've got seven, Zayin Tachtoinus, you've got Chesed Gvur first, Netzach Hoyisoid, and Malchus. All seven are called the Zayin Tachtoinus. Now, the Zayin Tachtoinus themselves, the bottom seven spheres, receive from the Gimel Rishonus. Now, the Zayin Tachtoinus itself is subdivided into two sets. In the seven, remember, we're talking about the seven now. You have the first six of the seven, and you have the last, which is the seventh. So, the first sixth of the seven is called Zeranpin. The small countenance, that's what it's called. I'm going into why. But those six, Chesed, Gvurt, first, Netzachoy, Yisoyed, Chagat, Nahi, those are what's called the Zeranpin. And they are called also a Zohar, a male, because they feed into the seventh, which is Malchus, which is an Ikeva, because it receives completely from the six above it. So you've got the Gimel Rishonis pouring its Shefa, its divine influence, into the lower seven. And of those lower seven, the six pour into the seventh. In many ways, it's like uh, a pipe. Uh, and the pipe really comes, is connected to a reservoir. The reservoir is the Gimel Rishonis. The pipe itself is the six, or the Zerampin, which is the six of the bottom group called the seventh. And there's a faucet. That's the sixth sphere of those seven, which is called Yisoid. And that's like a faucet. It's open and it pours into Malchus, which looks like a keili. If I had to use a mushal. Got that? So the reservoir of water is called Gimurishonis. Those three pour into what's called the Zayn Tachtoinus, but they're cloud in general. Those Zayn Tachtoinus itself are divided into two sets. The first six which is equivalent to the pipe, and that pours into the last of the six, which is Yisoyed, and that ends, or that set, and that pours into the vessel, which is Malchus, which is the seventh of that second set. I hope that's sufficient explanation. Now, as I said, the Zerampin is called the Zoho because it pours into Malchus, and Malchus is called the Nekeva, because the essence of Zoho is to thrust or to give, to mashpia or to noisem, to influence or to give. And the essence of a makabel is to receive, the essence of a nekeva, of course, is passivity, is kabola, is a keli, is to receive. So malchus, which is the seventh of those seven, or the tenth of the entire set, is a nekeva, malchus. And it receives fundamentally from all the nine above it. Now, the universe was created only with the bottom seven. In fact, the essential idea of the entire Bria is not the Gimur because they're too high. It is the Zayn Tachtoinus, the seven bottom spheres, which really create the entire universe. And where do you see this? Because how many days are there at the creation? There are seven. Because seven spheres, each one, each sphere reigned on one day. And of course, the seventh day is Shabbos, which of course is the sphere of Malchus. That's really what will be the, the influence of the last. We are in the, uh, well, in any case, uh, seven days to, uh, seven days of creation because seven spheres created the Bria 
from Chesed until Malchus. In fact, we see that because we have a Pasuk that says, Chesed Oilem Yeboneh, that the world is created through Chesed. Now, normally Chesed means that the world was created through love and kindness, which means that the Rebbeinu didn't have to create the world. He did it because he wants to create a world in which he can bestow what's called enormous Hatova or goodness. But Kabbalistically, that Pasuk means Chesed Oilem Yeboneh, that the world was created from Chesed. It's every Pasuk doubles up. It can be viewed one way, and it can also be viewed another way. Now, what is very fascinating to know, and certainly it's not the topic of this year, is that this Bria, or rather the Ten Spheres, which comprises the whole study of Kabbalah, basically, there are four analogs to the mystical structure of the Bria. Four analogs. The first analog is called the human anatomy. Man looks exactly like the spheres. In other words, another way of putting it, is if you had to take the spheres and create a physical model, a physical paradigm, it would look exactly like a human being, without going into more than that. So the human anatomical structure, all his parts, everything, how it operates, is a direct manifestation of the spheres itself. In fact, somebody who understands the correspondence or the parallel between what is in the body and what is in the uh, upper spheres, the spheres and so on, you can figure out exactly what's in the entire universe meaning like look by looking at your body. And that's the seed, the secret of the Pasik that says, Mi besorai erze elokim, from my flesh I can view God. I can understand the Rabbanu There are many pshatim to that, you know, meanings, but the most uh, fundamental meaning of that is that from the human anatomy itself, one can figure out exactly the entire Bria, mystically, from the human anatomy. Um, okay, so the human anatomy is one analog to the Bria. The second analog, and that's the seed or the secret of that entire structure was the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash is a model of the Bria, or the entire mystical universe, the spheres, the Beis HaMikdash. The division of the Kodesh and the Kodesh Kodoshim and so on is an exact replica of the Bria. In fact, one of the incredible things about the Beis HaMikdash, and that's one of the Soydis, is that the Bershom allowed us to manipulate the spiritual world, the Ruch Mishtengar by interfacing with its counterpart here. In other words, if you interfaced with its parallel here, you would affect its opposite in the, uh, in the Olomas. That's one of the seeds of the Beis HaMikdash. In any case, that is really what the Beis HaMikdash was, and of course the Shekhinah occupied the central part of the Beis HaMikdash, just like what's called the Ein Seif occupies the center of the entire mystical universe. But anyway, without going further, so that's the second analog. The Beis HaMikdash is really an analog. It's an exact model or counterpart, parallel, to the entire Bria, uh, all the uh, spiritual worlds. The third analog to all the spiritual worlds, and that's why they are so powerful, is called the Oishis, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. That is in itself an exact analog of the entire spiritual universe. And the power of the Aleph base, in, in fact, one of the, the essence of the power of Shemois, is that it is exactly... It addresses itself to the exact aspect of the spiritual worlds that you want to tap into. 
That's where the letters get its power from. But that's another analog. And a fourth analog is what's called geometric, that the spheres are described as having a geometry, either a circle or a line, linear or circular. In other words, there's linearity and circularity in the spheres. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that spheres are linear or circular, but it means that there's a certain state in the spheres that in the physical world is called a circle or a line. What it's there, we don't know, but it doesn't make a difference. We know that its counterpart physically is called a line or a circle. But in other words, spheres have different situations to them. So geometry is another way of describing the spheres. And Odom, man, is an exact model in the spheres, in the circumstance that they are linear, straight. In fact, if you take a look at a man, you'll notice that he really lines up like the spheres, which I'll explain. Let's take the human anatomy. Now, at this point, probably everybody's wondering what, what, what does all this have to do with Lush and Hara? However, we're not far. Just, just be patient. Let's take a look at the spheres. We know that there are ten. Kesachochmabina, Kachav, we have Chesigvurtfers, Chagat, Netzachhoidisoid, Nahi, and we have Malchus. Now, these are in three lines, or well, these ten spheres are arranged in three lines. We have on the right side, we have three spheres, which is Chochmo, Chesed, and Netzach, or Chachan. Those are the Rosh of those spheres. On the left side, we have three spheres lined up, which is Bago, Bino, Vura, and Hoid. Those are spheres on the left side. And in the middle, we have four. We have on top, Keser, Tfers, Yesuit, and Malchus, Katyam. That's the way they relate. So in other words, the nine are really divided into three divisions. Three on the right, four in the middle, and three on the left. That's the way they line up. And that's called the spheres of Yusha. Straight, linear. Now, a human being also looks that way. Because a man anatomically resembles, structurally, the spheres Yusha in a straight line. Man on his right side, okay, or well, let's take a look at the, uh, the, uh, the first three. You have the skull, okay, which is Kesser, and you have the two brains, which are Chochman uh, Bina, uh, okay, and also there's a third sphere called, well, a combination which is called Das, because there's really three brains to a, an individual. In any case, you have the right side of the person, right arm, which is Chesed, his left arm, which is Tiferes, uh, excuse me, Kfura, and you have his torso, which is Tiferes. Okay? And then the Netzach is his right side, right leg, so to speak, uh, Hoid is his left leg, and Yesuid is the male organ on a man, and Malchus is the Atora, the crown on that organ. That would be uh, Malchus. In a woman, it's not that, obviously, but Hoyusoid Malchus is different. Hoyusoid is the female uh, organ, and the Rechem, the uterus, is Malchus. It's concealed. In any case, you'll notice that a man lines up the way. He's, he looks, if you take a look at a stick figure of a person, there's head, torso, right? And then on the right side, you have arm and leg, and arm and leg. He lines up like a stick figure, because in essence... The spheres line up that way. Three, three, and four in the middle. 
the same thing with an Odom, he lines up exactly like that in a linear fashion. Um, therefore, the goof of an Odom, the ten spheres completely follow the goof of an Odom. Now, just like there are spheres in the body, there's also ten spheres in the head itself. It's apart from the goof. Okay? And fundamentally speaking, you have the, uh, the skull would be Keser, the eyes are Chochmah, the ears are Bina, the nose is Tferis, and basically most of the six. The tongue is Yesoid, and the mouth is Malchus. That's how it lines up in the head. Okay? So we now see that, that the human anatomy in his head has ten spheres, and also the human anatomy in terms of the entire body also has ten spheres. Now, once we understand this, we now can begin to understand certain interesting ideas. We see that the lotion, the tongue, is connected yesoid. It's connected the sphere called yesoid, which is foundation. Okay? And the mouth is connected or parallels to malchus. Now, I said, remember, that Yesuid is the ninth sphera, in terms of all ten, that pours into Malchus. Or, when you take a look at the Gimur Rishonis, you have the bottom seven, and the bottom seven itself, Zion Tachtonis, are divided into two sets. The first six all pour into Yesuid, because that's the bottom of the six, and that pours into the seventh, which is Malchus. So, Yesuid is a is the area where all the Shefa pours out from all the nine above into Malchus, which receives it, and then creates the entire Brio, or at least the world below it, it creates. So Yesuid is a very pivotal point, a point of exit, so to speak, of all the Shefa, all the divine forces that combine and pour out into that Yesuid, and then into the Malchus. Now the tongue is connected the lotion. Uh, the tongue is connected you uh, say. Now, once we understand this, we now understand that when you do an avera using a certain organ, you defect or you damage the particular sphera that is the analog of that anatomical region. If you, if the yesoid is the lotion, if the tongue of a person is parallels the sphere of Yesoid, as he manifests, of course, all the spheres. Then if a person speaks Lush and horror, he damages the Yesoid. He does what's called his Pogam the Yesoid. He damages the Yesoid. Because when you use your tongue to speak Lush and horror, you are using that area or that organ which represents the sphere of Yesoid, and he damages the flow that comes out of that Yesoid, and because he damages it, he splits the Yesuit from the Malchus. In other words, the spherious seed which pours its, all its forces into Malchus, which is below it, which is the tenth, is the, the flow is disrupted. It's disrupted. Because he's damaged the Yesuit because of Lush and Horror. The panemius of Lush and Horror is that it interferes with the proper flow from Yesuit to Malchus or that proper force from one sphere into the other. 
it damages the flow because the Lushan represents his side. So therefore, when he speaks Lushan Hara, using of course his tongue, uh, which is the primary organ of speech, he damages the the uh, sphere of Yisoid, and that itself has enormous repercussions for the entire well-being of the Bria, because the entire creation stands in harmony only because all the forces line up correctly. When you speak Lashon Hara and you damage Yisoid, then the forces, of course, are misaligned spiritually, and therefore tremendous damages occur throughout all creation because all of it has to funnel into correcting into Malchus and then the world is created from those correct forces however if they are interfered with and they are misaligned then there are enormous repercussions throughout the entire creation certainly throughout the entire physical universe now we now understand although we don't see it clear it's certainly the way it expresses itself in history but we now understand the suit or the secret of Lush and Hora is that Lush and Hora has a unique ability of damaging the sphere of your suit, which is the counterpart of the Lushan, of the tongue. And that has tremendous repercussions through creation. Certainly, since your suit, which is the ninth sphere, and it is that sphere which all the nine above it pour into the tenth, which is the receptacle of all those nine, clearly, obviously, if the flow is disturbed, obviously um, below it, or what Malchus is able to produce is obviously also disturbed. Now, <clears throat> once you begin to understand this, that since Yisoid is the major point or, or exit point of the Shefa of all those divine forces into Malchus, and from there it goes into all creation, then obviously Lashon Hara is extremely damaging to the entire Bria. Once you understand this, we can understand a very fundamental problem. We know that in the beginning, and now you'll begin to see many ideas in the Torah understood now that you have this framework. <coughs> the Nochosh, who was a Sutton, the snake, who was a physical manifestation, of course, of the Sutton, he was, of course, had to tempt Odom v'chava to eat from the tree. Eat from the Eitzadans Tevarah, tree of uh, knowing good and evil. But w- what was his argument? He said the following. If you eat from the tree, you will be like God. This is what he said. What does that mean, you'll be like God? What he told Chava, and eventually she told this to Adam, is that, look, the Rebbe Shalom is not the sole being in the Bria, in creation. In other words... There is an independent being and force that exists besides the Rebbe Shlom. What is that? It is the tree. The Eitzadas Tevara. By the way, this shot, of course, is the Medrash, which Rashi brings down. In other words, the tree is an independent Bria, existence, being from God. Not only that, the Nochash said, but the Rebbe Shlom got his power from the tree. So not only is the tree independent from the Rebbe Shlom, but the Rebbe Shlom is not as great as you think he is. You think he's omnipotent? Not true. The tree is the source of omnipotence. And the Rosh himself derived this power from the power of the tree. This is what he says, of course, to Chava. What was the... So the and now, what happened as a result of that? Chava, of course, and Adam ate from the tree. So they were choyte, they sinned. In other words, what they should... 
what they really should have understood is the following, and this is really what the Sutton tempted Adam and Chava. They knew that the Roshim is Shlita, Yichud Shlita Sai, all-powerful being, because they came at the end of creation, the sixth day. They knew they didn't make it, they couldn't fool themselves in that way. So they knew the Roshim was incredible in power, but they didn't know that the Roshim was not only Yichud Shlita Sai, what was concealed from them is that it's a Yichud Mitzi that the Roshim is the only thing that exists, there is no other independent being besides the Roshlam, let alone another being that gave the Roshlam the power to do it. The Roshlam is the only being that exists truly, and everything else emanates from him. And what the Roshlam did, of course, is he created a tree that people should think, perhaps, that there's an independent being from the Roshlam. Because he wanted Adam, you know, it's Adam knew that God is a Yichud Shlitasai, but he didn't know he's a Yichud Mitziusai. What he was supposed to, of course, see is that the Rosham is a Yichud Mitzusa, he's the only thing that exists. And he was supposed to see that what the Nochash was saying, of course, was false. So he failed. He bought the argument, he thought that the tree also was an independent being. Not only was it an independent being, but also, you know, was that there is a, a place for independent beings besides the Rosham. And, of course, that the tree was superior in potency than the Rosham. Because the Rosham himself derived his power from the tree. Adam failed in that reasoning, in that, of course, test, and same thing with Chava. Now, but one thing is very strange. What do we see here? That the snake spoke lush and horror about the Ramosham. The snake spoke lush and horror, Moiti Shemra, and Lachilis all together about the Ramosham. Where do you see this? Because, first of all, he said that the Ramosham is not an independent being, or rather that there are independent beings besides the Ramosham, correct? And not only that, but the tree is superior. That is a lie. The tree was not superior. The tree is not even independent. So that's clearly Moitzi Shemra. What the Nochesh is doing is he is degrading the stature of the Rav in the eyes of Adam Vachavah. That is Lashon Hara. But since the information whereby he degraded the Rav is false, therefore that kind of Lashon Hara is called Moitzi Shemra, defamation. But there was another problem here. He was also speaking Rechilis against Rebbe What is Rechilis? Not only do you defame somebody, but you cause the receiver or the listener to hate the person you've spoken about. How did he do it? Because he said, the Rebbe why didn't Rebbe reveal to you this knowledge that he himself is not the only being, that there's a tree that exists independent from him and the tree is more powerful? Why didn't Rebbe do this to you? Why didn't he want to tell you this? Because he doesn't want you to eat from the tree. Because if you eat from the tree, you will be as powerful as him. So he's not interested in your well-being. He's jealous of you. He doesn't want you to become another god. So when Adam heard that, what would Adam think about the Rav Not only is the Rav what? Dep- not only is he dependent on the tree, not only is the tree independent, not only is the Rav dependent on the tree and the tree is superior, Automatically, the amount of stature that the Bershom has, his omnipotence is degraded, A. But not only that, but there's a sinner, a hatred, that develops between Adam and the Bershom, because Adam now thinks that the Bershom fooled him. He's not dealing honestly with him. He fooled him, he deceived him. So there's a sinner, a hatred, that develops from Adam to the Bershom. That is called Rechilus. When the Satan told that to Adam, and Adam therefore de- uh, uh, developed a hatred, that is Rechilis. So it comes out, and in the first recorded conversation in human history, 
or in the Torah, you already had Lashon Hara, Shemra, and Rechilas all in one. Why did the Why did the Nochosh, the snake, the Satan, or as he is known as the Sitrachom, why did he want Adam to believe this or to listen and believe this Lashon Hara? Because the Satan knew that if Adam is makabel the Lashon Hara, believes the Lashon Hara, he will be poigim his yesoid, right? He will be poigim the yesoid because Lashon Hara damages the sphere of yesoid, and the divine force that goes from yesoid to Malchus would be interrupted. That's what the Nochash wanted. Therefore, not only did the Nochash, the snake, want Adam to what? To believe, or rather to eat from the tree, that he wanted Odom and Chava to makabal Lashon Hora so that the, the force that goes from Yisrael to Malchus would be interrupted or deflected. That's why. That's why Lashon Hora is, is in the first recorded conversation in history. It's not by accident. The Sultan knew what he wanted. Now why does the Sultan want to do that? Why should he want to do that? Because he wants to damage the flow from Yisrael to Malchus in other words, he wants to split the Yisuit from Malchus, that the flow doesn't go into, Yis- into Malchus directly. He wants the Shefa to be blocked and diverted. But why? Why should he want that? And the answer is because then the Sutton, he can take from the Shefa of Yisuit. That's why. He wanted it. Therefore, by getting Adam to receive Lashon Hara, the Makab Lashon Hara, then the Sutton can take or unique from the Yisuit itself deflect the Kedusha, the enormous holiness that comes out of that sphere, and instead of going to Malchus, it's deflected to the Satan's unique from the Yisoyed, which is a mind-boggling thing. What does that do for the Satan? What it does is it, what's called, it gives him a Mokum, a place in creation. Since he's receiving the Shefa, he now exists in the physical universe equal to man. He wants a Mokum. So right after Adam and Chava believed that, and they ate from the tree, the Satan now stood equal to Adam in the Bria, in the physical universe. That's what happened. And how do you see this? Because he was able to enter the physical body of man. Because now the Satan is in the body, and the Neshama is in the body. Both. They both have a Mokum, a place in the body. And the Satan was able to do that by damaging the Yisrael, and diverting the Shepherd to himself, and how do you do that? By getting Odom to receive Loshan Hora. That's how he did it. Now, what do we see so far? That the Satan therefore can be unique from that sphere, the Kedush of that sphere, from Yesuid. Okay? And the interesting thing about it is that once that happens, he now has a place in creation. Because the snake prior to the sin of Odom Rishon, the Chet Odom Rishon, was external to the universe, the physical universe. He can only offer Odom and Chava an argument, but he couldn't give him a drive because he wasn't in the physical universe. Now, however, he has a place in the physical universe, uh, and he, of course his argument is different. Now, as a result of the fact that the Sutton now receives this Kedusha, so that's what Chazal means that he was Matal Bozayama in Chava, that the Sutton, so to speak, not literally, but Nochosh Boal Chava, that the Nochosh lived with Chava. In other words, the Medrash says that he lived with Chava, he was Matal Bozayama in Chava. 
What is Zulma? Zulma is the shefa or the force or the influence of the Satan. That's his influence. Okay? So as a result of the fact that he could be eunuch from the Yisoyed, he now can take that shefa and inject it into Chava. Except what would go into Chava isn't the Kedush of Yisoyed, but rather it is filtered, of course, to the Satan. It's the Zulma of the Satan. The, the, the pollution or the filth of the Satan now can go into Chava. So in many ways, the Satan becomes the Zohar. And Chava, who is really an Ekeva, who really stands for Malchus, she would be received the Zoyma of the Satan. Um, yeah. Therefore, this is sort of a result of what happens. Now, there are many important ideas that emerge from this that Chava received the Zoyama from the Satan that he was able to give her because he now takes the place of the Zohar because he's yearning from the Yisoyed he takes from the Yisoyed let's take a look at two very important ideas that emerge from this uh, framework the first idea is remember that Odom anatomically mirrors the state of the spheres if the spheres change so does man in fact, that's really the secret of the change of man. That's why he changes. It's because the spiritual world change, and he therefore mirrors that change. And that, by the way, is the secret of all disease. Because when you do a chet, it's pregame. It damages some aspect of the sphere, which you represent, and that automatically comes back on you and damages your organ. That organ which represents that sphere which was damaged as a result of the sin, which is a parallel to that sphere. In fact, uh, a doctor, Kabbalistic doctor, wouldn't prescribe medicine, he would prescribe the mitzvah to masakin, to rectify that sphere which damaged the organ as a result of the chet in that organ. That's usually the way they, that's how they would work. However, don't ask me any names and addresses of these guys. In any case, I don't think they're licensed by the M anyway. But anyway, <clears throat> but anyway, that's how they would work. Kabbalistically, because that's really the inherent, what is the cause of disease? Not what people think, which is bacteria and germs and viruses. No, what is inherently the cause of disease is a damage in the oilimus, the spherus, which you are an analog of. And the way you disrupt it is by doing a chet to a particular, using a certain organ, which damages the sphere, which parallels that organ, which then reverses itself and now damages the organ, and that's why people get sick. So obviously the proper way of going around that, of course, would be a tikkun of that sphere. But obviously um, there are not that many people that are versed in the, the analogs and so on. The Ari was able to do that. And obviously certain very great makubolam, they could know exactly what tikkun you could do because they knew the pagam or the defect in the ulamus, in the world, that's how they knew exactly what you had to do to get out of what sorrow you were in. They, didn't, they, they could bypass the entire physical universe. However, all this is an aside. Now, Odom, we said, mirrors the entire Olimus, right? Elionis, all the spiritual universes, the spheres, and anatomically. Now, what did we say? What we said is that as a result of him being the Kabbalah Shinhara, correct? Therefore, the, the Shefa the force or the flow of holiness which comes from Yisoyed into Malchus is disrupted. Therefore, what that means is that anatomically, Odom has to mirror that defect in the spheres. Where do you see he, he mirrored it? Because Chazal say that Odom was born mohol, circumcised. 
He was born without an ola, without a foreskin that would cover the male organ. There was no such thing as an ola. It didn't exist. Why? Because Yisoyed, which is represented by the male organ, pours unimpeded into Malchus. However, once the Sutton, once he was Makabalon Shinhara, and Yisoyed was damaged, and the Sutton could be unique, all of a sudden, the Ola would grow, and it's exactly what happened. He grew an Ola, a foreskin, which covered the Yisoyed, or the male organ. That is why Adam, man, has an Ola, because that's the defect in the sphera. You see, in fact, the word Ola, now how, why did this happen? Because, why did the Ola grow? Because it mirrors the defect in the sphere of Yesoid, which of course that organ represents. So the foreskin covers that organ. And how did it happen? How was the Sutton able to split the Yesoid from Malchus? Because Odom believed Lush and Hara, which was damaged his tongue, which is Yesoid. Therefore, Ola itself is comprised of two words, Lamed Hora, Russian horror. In other words, the way to grow the Ola, or to conceal the Yisoyed, is by speaking or believing Russian horror. Because that is the counterpart. The Ola is the counterpart, of course, or what it means is that Yisoyed and Malchus are split. And that's really what the Ola does. So the word itself reveals how it itself is generated, Russian horror. In fact, the word Sitra Achra, which of course means the Sutton and his entire side, the gematria of Sitra Achra is Malchinim. Malchinim is the gematria of Sitra Achra, because that's how the Sutton derives most of his power. And as I said, because of, since the, when the Sutton derives his power because of Lashon Hara, he was able to inject Zoyamar, pollution into Chava, therefore the gematria of Bor Nochesh al Chava also is Sitra Achra. Because that's also the same thing. In other words, Malshinim is the same gematria as Sitra Achra, because Malshinim gives the power to Sitra Achra, and the result of Sitra Achra is Bo Nochesh Achava, he's able to give the Zoyama into the entire physical universe. Because that's the result of the, uh, of the, the whole concept of Sitra Achra. Anyway, so therefore, Odom grew an Ola, and Ola itself is the oasis of Lamed Hora, which indicates that is how the Ola grows. Now, this is what we see so far. Therefore, the word Ola, or rather Ola, which grew after the Chet of Odomarishim, itself reveals what generates it, which of course is Lashin Hora. The word Ola is Lamed Hora, or Lashin Hora. Now, how do we correct this defect? How do we correct the defect that Odom did? And the answer is Mila. What do you do by Mila? by circumcision. You take off the Ola. Now what do you do with this Ola? Now the Ola we know represents the Zoyama, because that's what conceals. What conceals the Yisoyed? The Zoyama. It's the Shefa, the force of the Sutton. He's being unique from this Yisoyed, and he's being muddled into the Bria. And that's what's hiding the whole thing, is Zoyama. So the Ola is really the physical analog of the Zoyama itself. So therefore, what the Russian wants is for Jews to remove the Ola. How do you remove the Ola? Through Mila, circumcision. You remove the foreskin, correct? What do you do when you remove the Ola? You throw it into the ground because the Ola is the chilek or the part that belongs to the Sotan. Therefore, we throw it into the ground because it's from the Adoma that the Sotan has a Shlitum in the physical universe. In any case, so therefore, we perform Mila. 
And what's the idea of Mila? Mila does what? It reveals the Yisoyed. It reveals the Yisoyed. So that the Yisoyed can again flow into the Malchus. That's really what Mila does. That is why Mila is Gematria Peh. The Gematria of Mila is 85. And the Gematria, the numerical value of Peh is also 85. And what is Peh? Peh is connected Malchus. Because the idea of Mila is to reverse or to reveal the Yisoyed so it can again pour its Kedusha, its holiness, into the Malchus. Now the analog of Malchus to the human anatomy, of course, is Peh, the mouth. Therefore, the Gematria, the numerical equivalent of Milo, is Peh, which of course means, in the, uh, in the sphere analog, it means Malchus. So the concept is to Megal Yisoyed, or again to Mechaber, to connect the Yisoyed with Malchus. That's the essence of the whole matter. And when that happens, what happens to the Bria? There's a Tikkun in the Bria. Therefore, the secret of Milo. Now you begin to understand what the secret of Milo. And why is it called an Ois? What is an Ois? There are certain mitzvahs in the Torah which are called Ois, a sign. It is a sign of the agreement that exists between the Rebbeinu and Klai Israel. Why is Milo called a sign? Because what was disrupted? mystically or kabbalistically or pneumious internally the flow that goes from Yisui to Malchus was disrupted and the Sutton it bypasses to the Sutton and he derives benefit and he's able to give Zoyma because of it therefore what the Bershom wants is to remove the influence of the Sutton his Zoyma and to Mechaber to connect Yisui back to Malchus therefore what the Bershom said is to a Jew what I want you to remove the foreskin, which is Mila, so you can re- reveal the Yisoyed, so it's again connected to Malchus, to Masakin the Malchus that it joins with Yisoyed. So therefore, uh, what the Jew does is he removes the foreskin, he reveals Yisoyed, and it again connects together with Malchus, then the flows go correctly, and all of a sudden, the whole Bria, the universe, has the right flow of Kedusha, holiness. And all of a sudden, the Shechina, the presence of God, is revealed throughout creation. Because that's what's stopping it. The presence of the Roshim cannot be revealed because it's not coming down from the higher Olamas correctly into this world. But through Mila, you remove the Hester, which is the Ola, which is the Zoyama. And now Yisrael is connected to Malchus, Neschabah to Malchus. The flow comes into Malchus, into the entire Bria, and there it is, the Gilu of the Shechina. Now, this is called an Ois. What does it mean that it's called an Ois? Because it is an actual sign of the agreement. What is the agreement between us and the Bershom? That we bring a Tikkun to the Bria, correct? And that if we bring a Tikkun to the Bria, if we rectify creation, we will experience its rectification. What is the rectification of the Bria? What's the damage? The damage to creation is that God, the Rebbe is not revealed to creation. We correctify that and we again reveal God to the creation. But we know now, Pneumius, why? Because Yesuit is not connected to Malchus. Therefore, what happens is we therefore have to massacre Yesuit. We have to again connect Yesuit to Malchus. The flow comes down into Malchus and the just when the flows come back in, then of course the Shechina again is of course revealed. Therefore, the Roshim says, I will give you an Ois, a sign that is an exact replica or exact statement of what lies between me and you. You will remove the Ola, the Zoyama, 
remove the influence of the Nochosh, the Sitra Achla, the Satan, the Yitzhahara, right? You remove that, you will expose the Yisoyed as it is connected to the Atara Malchus, <coughs> right? When is this done? On the eighth day. Because the eighth day is the beginning of Oilim Habo. Because it is after Zayn Tachtonus, all the seven spheres, which are the seven days of creation, and the eighth day is the beginning of Odom Kadmon in that sense. Therefore, if you do remove the, the Ola, which is the Zayamor, and you again reveal or Mechabe, connect Yisaitan Malchus, where its flow is now uh, harmonious and so on, then on the eighth day you will experience that restoration of the correct flow. And the eighth day begins, of course, Olim Haba, because it's after the 7,000th year. We know that Olim Hazeh is only 6,000 years. The 7,000th year, the world is desolate for 1,000 years. And in the beginning of the 8,000th year, Olim Haba, the process of Olim Haba begins. Therefore, Mila happens on the eighth day because the very act which you do, which is to remove the Zayama, to remove the, the Allah, which produces the Giloi of the Esoid, which is the Shechina, the Rabbi Islam, that will happen to you on the eighth day. And that's your Chelek. Therefore, in one act is the complete statement of the agreement between us and the Rabbanu Shlam. Therefore, Mila is called an ice. So that's really what we do. We remove the foreskin, the zayama. Uh, we allow for the chibur, the connection between Yisrael and Malchus. And as a result of that, the, uh, everything is nizgala, the shkin is nizgala, which happens, of course, on the eighth day, Be'ika, which is the beginning of Oilam Habo. <clears throat> anyway, that's... We see, therefore, that as a result of Odom Mechaba's Chet, we see what happens anatomically to Odom. It's not by chance that this happened, but the anatomical structure, as I said before, is an analog to the whole Ruch Nistigaylamas, exactly mirrors, man mirrors the conditions, or the condition of the spheres. Now, what happened to Chava? That was Odom. What happened to Chava? Oh, who, when the Nochosh brought the Zoyama into the world, who was the one that it went through first? Chava. He was matled bo Zoyamo. He put the Zoyamo in horror. What happened therefore is he damaged Homalchus. Because the Zoyamo entered her and she received Shefa, or rather Zoyamo Tuma. She received pollution from the Sutton. Therefore, Homalchus was damaged. What is Homalchus? Her rechem, her uterus, was damaged. Spiritually, it was damaged. Therefore, there must be a defect in her uterus, which is Nida. The reason why Nida came about is because she allowed the Zoyama to enter into her, but her anatomical region which corresponds to Malchus is her Rechem, her Rechem, which is her uterus, her womb, right? Therefore, that would suffer a Pagam. What was the Pagam? Nida. That 12 times a year, or whatever, she would have to experience death in the uterus, where the egg would be lost, and so on. Now, neither does not make sense. Why does a woman have to go through this process? Where she has an egg that implants itself on the walls of the uterus, and all of a sudden, if it's not fertilized, it's out. Why? Why is there Misa in the life-giving place called the Rechem? And the answer is because that's the Chilik of the Zoyama, the damage that she did by believing Lashon Hara, and allowing the Nochash, the snake, to be unique from Yitzhoid, that's the damage that she reflects in the Pagam, in the defect that she did to the spheres. But it reflects itself in her organ, which of course is her Malchus, 
which is, of course, her uterus. So that's the concept of nida. And that is why nida is so important. Because at the time that a woman's in nida, there's a shlita v'zoyama at that time, which is very strong. So if a person lives with his wife who's a nida, it strengthens the hands of the satan. Because that's the time that the zoyama is very strong in her. Therefore, uh, by observing nida, a woman brings her tikkun to the world. By rectifying what she did, which of course means that she was the first that believed Lashon Hara, and that's really what she did. She believed Lashon Hara, and she went over to Adam to convince him, and she didn't have to do that. She could have said, look, I fell for his argument. Why should I destroy my husband? But she didn't look at that, because she was jealous. Maybe the Russian would give him another wife, which is what the Medrash says. So she willingly destroyed her husband. Therefore, the major defect of the Zoyamah occurs in a woman because of that chet. In any case, that's what happened to, to Chava as a result of the, uh, the, uh, the Lashon Ha that she was Makabal. And that was a damage in her <coughs> Malchus. And what we begin to see also, very interesting, well, okay. In any case, this is what we see. Now, we now understand a very important idea. What Lashon Ha does. Why it was so important. Why the Nochash used it, employed it in his first argument. We see how central it is to the whole Bria. Because Lashon Hara is pergam the Yisoyed, it separates the Yisoyed from Malchus, it stops the flow or disrupts the flow, so the whole Kedusha can flow into the Bria, and therefore he's able to be Matazoyma into the Bria as a result of the Lashon Hara. Now, by Kayan, we see therefore by Odom that Odom allowed the Sotan to be equal to an Odom. Uh, it allowed the Sotan to be equal to an Odom in this world. Cain, <coughs> however, did it worse. He gave what's called shlita, or dominion to the satan, by his chet. When Cain killed Hevel, what he did is he allowed the satan not only to be equal to Adam, but the satan now rules over man. He gave shlita to the, uh, to the, to the satan. And in fact, the Torah indicates it or alludes it when it says, La Pesach chatas rivets. Sin lies in wait at the entrance, at the door. What's the Pesach? The mouse. Sin waits at the mouth because Lashon Hara is what fuels Chet. Therefore, it lies at the entrance. It waits for Lashon Hara. That's why it says, La Pesach Chatas Rivet. The Torah oh, actually almost spells it out to you without literally spelling it out to you. The power of the mouth. And this is what happened to Cain. And that is the significance of what Cain did. Is that he of course, uh, allow the Satan to have dominion over Adam. And then from Cain it was much worse until the end of Noach, until the whole world was destroyed. And the flood, of course, indicates the complete dominion over the world by the Satan as a result of the corruption of the world. And so on. Now, what do we see, therefore? That there are two phases here. There's a phase where the Satan has equality with man, and there's a phase uh, where the Satan has dominion over man. Both are very important ideas. We also see that Lashon Hara damages the Asayid, which of course interrupts the flow. It allows the Satan to give the Zoyama into the Bria. And the reversal of that is the Tikkun, is to take Asayid and to reconnect it to Malchus. And that will Megal the Shechina and bring a whole Tikkun to the world. Therefore, once you understand this, we can now go on and see another idea. Okay, now... <clears throat> Once we understand this, we can now understand a very important idea. 
the in or the matter, the subject matter of what's called pekido and the zechira. In Yala V'yovoi, when we ask, you know, that the Mershom should send the Mashiach and so on, we say V'yipokeid V'yizokher. They're both the shyness of being remembered. What is Pekido and Zechira? And you'll find when the Mershom approached Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, Pokei Pokadati, I have surely remembered the afflictions of the Jews and I come to take them out. Not only that, but Moshe Rabbeinu, when he went to Klai Yisrael, he said that the Mershom remembered you. Pokoi that remembered you. He had to use the expression of Pekido. And Klai Yisrael knew he was the Mashiach because he used the right language. And when Yosef was dying, he said, Don't forget me. Pokoi Tifkoid, you should remember me. What is this Lashem Pekido? Now you will understand. What the Pekido really is, <clears throat> we see so far that when you see that the whole Pegam and the Bria, basically, is you see is disconnected from Malchus. And it is our task to bring them together. So the flows align themselves, and then the whole Shekhin in this Gala is revealed, the Divine Presence is revealed. <clears throat> Therefore, when the Yesuit is reconnected to Malchus, Yesuit is Neschabah to Malchus, that's called the Pekido. That is an event of enormous proportions, because that is really what the Tikkun is, that Yesuit is reconnected to Malchus. Now it does so under the influence of the sphere right above it, in the middle line, which is Teferis. When Teferis influences Yesuid to reconnect to Malchus, that's called the Pekida. And what that does, <clears throat> anyway, Kabbalistically, that's what it is, mystically, is when Teferis is Mashpia, or generates enormous amount of force to reconnect Yesuid to Malchus. And then everything becomes realigned in that sense. That is a very important event. What happens? Because when that happens, then the Sultan can't be unique as much anymore. So he becomes, he loses his dominion, but he still maintains a place. But he loses dominion. He has no more power over Adam. He's equal to Adam. When that happens, he has to release all the Neshomis Kedoshis, the holy souls, that are in his power. Now we know that there are certain shamas, there are certain entities or beings in the hands of the Klippa, the Zoyama, the Satan. So what are they? First of all, Moshe Rabbeinu is in the Klippa, which means that the Satan is able to envelop Moshe and not allow his Neshama to receive or the Yisurin that these people go through, which I will mention, is what's called Mirt Or, diminishment of Or, of Kedusha, which they should have proportionately to their great neshama. So when they suffer meat or, that's an enormous tikkun. The one that makes them suffer the meat or is the sultan because he's able to, uh, what he called, envelop them and stop the kedusha from going to them. That's called sevle chiloim, those people that suffer illnesses, sicknesses. And the reason why they suffer that is in order to allow Jews to massacre, uh, to uh, rectify creation. Because they could not do it based on their own suffering. They need the suffering also of these neshamas. Who are the major neshamas which are in the klippa, which are in the hands of the sultan, and as a result of that are aiding Klai Yisrael to rectify creation, Yisoy back to Malchus. Those are called Sevli Chiloim, the uh, ones who bear sickness for the sake of Klai Yisrael. Who are they? Moshe Abenu, the two Meshichan, Sheikh Min David, Meshich Min Yosef, 
and all the other nishamas kedushim of tzaddikim that are also in the klipa. And the greatest thing in the klipa is the shechina, is the rabbanishlam, not chas v'shalom, the rabbanishlam, but rather the representation, the shechina, the divine presence, is also in the hands of the klipa. Not chas v'shalom, it is at the mercy of the, uh, the sultan, of course not, but that the rabbanishlam allows the sultan to be unique from the shechina itself. So therefore, there's a, there's a statement called shechina to be galusa, that the shechina itself is in galus. And what that means is that the Rebbe allows the Satan to derive a certain amount of energy from the power of the Divine Presence itself. And that's a tremendous benefit to Kaiso, without going into why. However, the Shekhinu, the Divine Presence, all the great Neshamas, Moshe Rabbeinu and the two Meshichim, they are all in the hands of the Klippa. They are suffering what's called Miat Or. They do not have the Kedusha that they should have, which is appropriate to their enormous Neshamas. They are released at the time of the Pekidah. Because the Sultan can't be uniquely asserted as much, therefore he must release them. Therefore he is no more, he has no more dominion over man. Instead he merely occupies a place. So therefore what Kayan did is neutralized. And we are now back to the stage of Odom Rishon, right after the Chet. Okay? Where the Sultan has a Mokam, he has a place, but not a dominion. This is the Pekidah. The Pekida is an incredible, mind-boggling, mystical, Kabbalistic event where Yesoid is Neshabah to Malchus. The sphere of Yesoid again is connected to Malchus through the influence of Tferis, which is, of course, right above it. That Kabbalistic event is central to the Gula. In fact, that is the Gula. And the thing that is released at that time is the soul of the Mashiach. And the soul of the Mashiach is called Yechido. Because that's the essence of the soul of the Mashiach. The Echidah, without going into all the details, the Echidah is an aspect of the soul which is defined as the Mashiach, that is the crown of the Mashiach, that is released from the Klippa, from the hands of the Satan, and that, of course, goes back on the Mashiach, and the Mashiach then becomes Mashiach at that time of Pekidah. So the Bonsham told Moshe Rabbeinu, I now... <laughs> Uh, I remembered you, which means that the Pekida happened. That's the essence of the concept of Pekida. So therefore, Pekida is when Yesuid is connected to Malchus through the influence of Tferis, and even though they are released, but there's no revelation of them because evil still has a place. The Zechira is a second stage. Kabbalistically, it's when Tferis joins with Yesuid and Malchus together, all three. And as a result of that, that's called Zechira, and what that does, it produces a giloy, a revelation, not merely an emancipation, but a revelation of the Shechina and Mashiach ben Yosef, and of course, certainly Mashiach ben David. And there's a giloy, and that is Mamish, the Messianic era. Now, the Pekida is especially true of Mashiach ben Yosef, when there is a release, it's a, a release of these Neshamas um, uh, and so on, Yechid and so on, and the giloy, or the Zechira, that's the eco appropriate, of course, to the time of Mashiach ben David. And by the Zechira, when the release of the, uh, or rather the revelation of the Shechina and the Mashiach and ben David and so on, which is the true Yemoisa Mashiach, evil doesn't even have a mokum, it has no place. That's when evil is completely obliterated, it is destroyed. So we now see what the concepts of Pekido and Zechira. So, therefore, when the Bonsham told Moshe Rabbeinu, Pokoit Pokadati, because the Pekidah had arrived. And it's interesting, where do you see that? Because when did the Pekidah happen? Because it says by the Bonsham, Vayeda Lokim, and God knew. 
and he knew what that time had come. Yediya, knowing, is a, always an expression of intimacy. It says, Vayeda Odom es Chavo, and man knew Chavo. That's a, that's a Loshen Nikiya of what? Of sexual intimacy. Yesid Malchus really is, is really the, the well, in, in, uh, the counterpart of sexual intimacy in the physical analog is really the Chib of Yesid Malchus. In any case, so when it says, Vayeda Lekim, and God knew, that was the Pekida Kabbalistically. That that's when it really happened. The Bereshim knew when a man knows his wife. What does that really refer to? That's really when they're both intimate with each other. What does that mean? That's really the zivug of Yesuid Malchus, because those really are the organs involved. That is the exact anatomical. That anatomic relationship is the exact parallel to the spheres of Yesuid Malchus connecting. That's the zivug, because that's really what a zivug is. It is Said Malchus, whether it be done here between a man and a woman, or whether it be done in the spheres. That's why it says, Vayedun Kim. The Roshim knew, that's Mamish, the Pekida, Yisuid Malchus, and then Lady told Moshe Rabbeinu, Pokait Pokadati. I surely have remembered. And as we will see in a minute, of course, that the reason why this happened is because of Shmir's Haloshin. That's how they were able to bring Yisuid Malchus together. In any case, uh, this is the concept of Pekida and Zechira, and we find also in Yalav Yovoi, that's why it says, Ve'yi Pokeid, Ve'yi Zohar, that we should be Zecha to both. This is what we see because we understand the different ideas of what happened, of Yisrael Malchus, that it was split, and the main thing is to bring them together again, and then to have Tferes join, and those are the two stages of Geula. Now, once we understand the Pekida and the Zechira, in other words, the Pekida is really the emancipation, Chiras, of all these Neshamas and so on, because of the connection between Yisrael Malchus, under the influence of Tferes, and that Be'ikah's Nogeh to the time of Ben Yosef, and Zechira, of course, is the connection between Yisrael Malchus with Tiferes, and that's Be'ikah, the revelation, the Giloi, that's Be'ikah, that's essentially under the time of Mashiach ben David, <coughs> and that, of course, is a time when evil is completely destroyed. Now, let's take a look and see how we see this Mamish in the Torah. Let's take a look at Yosef. Yosef. What happened to Yosef? Yosef Hatzadik. Now Yosef is what? Hatzadik. Yosef, without going into what that means, is an individual that personified or was especially under the influence of what's called Yesoid. The sphere of Yesoid had an enormous amount of shlito or influence over Yosef. In fact, Tzadik Yesoid Oilom. Right? That Tzadik is the foundation of the world. Tzadik refers to Yisoid, and Yosef at Tzadik, Yosef is really an individual that was incredibly influenced by that particular sphere called Yisoid. Yehuda, who is Malchus, he is particularly influenced by the sphere called Malchus. Now, what was the story of Yosef and Yehuda? That Yosef got sold. In other words, Yehuda was responsible, in many ways, for selling Yosef. Why did that happen? Because Yosef spoke... Lush and horror, remember? Yosef used to walk over to his father and told his father about the sins that his brother was committing. Now it was Lush and horror. Now even though Yosef had mind to correct his brothers, he didn't mean it maliciously, but the haloch is he should not have gone to his father to say that because it was Lush and horror. He should first have gone to his brothers and told them directly, hopefully they would change. Instead he didn't go to his brothers. He went to his father. Therefore that is classified as Lush and horror. And as a result of that, Yosef spoke Lashon Hara. 
Therefore, Yesuit, he was pregame as Yesuit, especially an individual who was influenced most by the sphere of Yesuit. He was pregame, damaged it, so he split Yesuit Marcus. That caused the Sultan to have enormous powers over Yehuda, where eventually Yusuf and Yehuda split. That mamish that actually split Yusuf from Yehuda, because that's what Lashon Hara does. It splits the Yisrael from Malchus. Therefore, that is really one of the major reasons why Yehuda wound up uh, selling Yosef, of course, into slavery. That split it. Again, we see. And the interesting thing about it, which is a very great premium, is Yosef suffered because of that. Because Gemara says, what is that which can repair the damage of Yisrael that Lashon Hara does? The answer is Torah. That the Gemara says, my takante, what's the takana? When you speak Lashon Hara, which really means what's the takana of Yisrael, is Torah. If you learn Torah, it brings back the Yisrael to Malchus. Because Torah is used literally in the same organ. Torah you learn with your mouth, right? So Torah is one of the mitzvahs that can reconnect Yisrael to Malchus. That's why it's a takana. Therefore, since Yosef damaged Yisuid from Malchus by speaking Lashon Hara about his brothers to his father Yaakov. Therefore, one of the things that he was punished with is he forgot all his learning. Like that's one of the reasons why Menashe was named Menashe because Yosef said he forgot his learning. So therefore, he suffered a tremendous amount of forgetting of learning which he learned from his father. Remember, it says Ben Zikunim. That means his father taught him everything that he had learned in Shem Be'eva, the Yeshiva Shem Be'eva. He taught to Yosef. So Yosef fundamentally forgot that learning and he bemoaned that fact even by naming his son Menashe, which means also to forget. He forgot the learning. Why? Because since he spoke Lashon Hara, that split the Yisrael from the Marcus, therefore Torah was Nivgam also. The Torah itself was defected. Therefore, that's one of the reasons. And also, he also was Pergam the Yisrael Milmato, which is the Yisrael as it represents in the Guf. And that's one of the reasons why he had the test with Fatifa's wife, which of course is a test of the Yisrael, right, in the body. Not merely the Yisoyed in the head, which is the tongue, but the Yisoyed in the body, of course, which is the male organ. Therefore, he was tested with sexual temptations. Same idea. Okay. Now, therefore, this is what happens to Yusuf, which we see, we begin to understand, it's very different based on the ideas of Lashon Hara. Now, take a look at Egypt. The reason why the Jews were in Egypt, we know, is because they spoke Lashon Hara. Like Moshe Rabbeinu says, Surely the matter is known. When he saw one Jew hitting another Jew, right? He said, Russia, why are you hitting your fellow Jew? So that Russia said, who made you the boss? Are you, gonna kill, are you going to kill me like you killed Dimitri? So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Surely the matter is known. And what the pshat of that is, of course the Pasha pshat is, Surely the matter that I killed Dimitri is going to be known to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh Parai, because this Jew is going to inform me, which is exactly what happened. And Moshe Rabbeinu, who was Mashiach ben Yosef, ran for 54 years. He had to leave Egypt. Right? Why? Because of... Lashon Hara, because it splits the Yisrael from the Malchus. So Yusuf had a flee in Golis as a result of the Lashon Hara of Jews. Again, you see the incredible connection between the Goyal and Lashon Hara, because it splits the Yisrael from the Malchus. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Ochi nu Rashi says, the, the, the Pshat really is, not that Moshe was afraid that he's going to inform, but now I know why the Jews are in such a long and bitter exile. Now it's, he, he knew that uh, the Jews were in exile, but he said to himself, why? Why are they in such a bitter exile more than the other nations? Now that I see that they speak Lashon Hara, I know why. Because they speak Lashon Hara, that causes the exile. Why? Because Yisuit is split from Malchus. That's the idea of Ochi Noida Hadova, which of course is Lashon Hara. Now, 
Therefore, in the end, <clears throat> it says that 12 months before the Geula, the redemption, all the Jews stopped speaking Lashon Hara. That's what the Medrash says. It says several times, the Rechaim HaKadosh brings down Parshim and so on. What does that mean? Remember Rosh Rabbeinu, he approached the Rosh in the snare by the burning bush, and the Rosh says to him, go take my people out. What does Rosh Rabbeinu say? You can't take these people out. Why? Because and the, the Kleyoka says this on that postage, the reason why they are in Golis is because of Lashon Hara, because Lashon Hara splits the Yisraelites and the Malchus. How can you take them out? Or how can you ask me to take them out? So Bonsham says, no, they do not speak to Lashon Hara anymore. And of course, the Bonsham is referring to the 12 months before the Gula. They stopped speaking Lashon Hara. And that's why he told Moshe Rabbeinu to put his hands in his coat, come out, it's filled with leprosy, Tsaras. Put it in, comes out, it's Tor. Why? To show them that Tsaras, which comes from speaking Lashon Hara, he doesn't have it anymore because it's cured, because the Jews do not speak Lashon Hara. Therefore, because the Jews stopped speaking Lashon Hara, that is what was Mechaba, besides Yesurim, but that was what, is what connected Yesui back to Malchus, because of Shmir Saloshim. Therefore the Roshim said, Pokoid Pokadati. And the Roshim was able to say, Vayeda Lokim, and the Roshim knew, which of course is the Bikida, that is the Kabbalistic expression of Yesui recombining with Malchus. Therefore the Roshim was able to tell him, and Moshe Rabbeinu came back to Klai Yisrael, and said to the Jews that the Roshim remembers you, Pokoid, that he remembers you, and, of course, the Jews were able to get out. Now, the Jews, of course, had succeeded. Oh, and by the way, one more idea. Why is it my Moshe Rabbeinu? Interesting idea, once you understand this. We find that Moshe Rabbeinu, after the snake, was on his way to Egypt. And all of a sudden, the Malach wanted to kill him because he was neglectful in performing the mitzvah of Mila on his son. Remember that incident? Why does the tourist single out that incident? Other than the fact that it almost killed Moshe Rabbeinu. But other than that... As an aside, why is that such an important event? Because if the essence of Gula's Yisoid is reconnected to Malchus, what's the essential mitzvah which reflects that? What's the essential mitzvah which shows that Yisoid is back to Malchus? Mila. Because it takes away the foreskin and reveals Yisoid to Malchus. So because the state of the Jews is where Yisoid was connected to Malchus, it was very important for Moshe Rabbeinu to fulfill that mitzvah, which would be a reflection of the spirits in that new state. Therefore, since he was negligent, he himself possibly was bringing defects back into the reconnection, which of course resulted in a tremendous possible onus to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why at that time in the Torah you find all of a sudden Moshe Rabbeinu almost got killed. Why? Because the mitzvah that he was supposed to do was a reflection of the state of, this, of the spheres at the time he was going to take him out, which of course is that Yisrael was connected to Marcus. And Mila would have indicated that. But the fact that he didn't do it, of course, was a very strong possible pagam, and therefore, of course, that's why the Torah relates it so strongly. In any case, the Jews got out, and the Zoyamah was lifted, which we know, by Matan Sinai. Now, when the Jews sinned at Har Sinai, they restored the Zoyamah, correct? What they did, see now, at Har Sinai, after the Jews got out of Egypt and so on, they removed the Zoyamah, tremendous amount of the Zoyamah. In fact, they removed it all without going into the whole parish of Zoyamah and so on, how much they removed but they removed everything, and it was right before the Zechira. There was no Gilo yet. There could have been a Gilo, because that was Moshe Rabbeinu was coming down to bring the whole thing. That would have been the enormous Gilo completely. And that would have been the Zechira. However, the Jews sinned at the Eagle, so they restored the Zoyama into the Bria, and unfortunately, everything was returned. However, what the Jews at the Eagle did is they did the same thing Odom did by the Chet, Odom Chavah. They gave Mokom, 
they gave again an equal place of the Sot in the Bria. Just like Odom and Chava gave an equal place of the Sot in the Bria by their sin, and Cain is one that gave them dominion, the rest, or rather the sin of the golden calf of the Cheto Egel is what restored the Mokom, the place or the equality that the Sotan had with man, back into the physical body. Because before Hasinai, it was removed, as the Gemara says, that the Zoyama was Nifsa. However, in that in itself, wouldn't have been as bad. Because had the Jews not done the second sin, then they could have, Moshe still could have been ben Yosef, who he really was, and the Guru could have taken place. What really killed it for Kleinsel was the Meraglim. That's why the Meraglim was so devastating. Those two Chatoim are the greatest Chatoim of Kleinsel. What the Meraglim did is because of what they did, they reconnect or they split Yisuit from the Malchus totally. And that gave dominion of the Sotan over the Bria. What was the major Chet of the Meraglim? Lashon Hara. That's why. Because the Meraglim spoke Lashon Hara, all Kleinsel believed it. Therefore, that split Yisoyed Malchus to such an extent where the Sutton went on to stage two, which was incredible dominion. And that's what forever lost, not forever, but that's what lost in the chance of Moshe Debim Sheikh Ben Yosef. That's when it was decreed that everybody died, and that time was over. Because of the Chet of the Muradlam, which of course was Lashen Hara. This is the idea in, in the case of the Muradlam. So Moshe Abbeinu Kurub Mashiach was not Mashiach because of what happened as a result of what the Muraglim did, which is Lashon Hara, and they restored the dominion to the Sutton, and therefore it was Nigza that they cannot restore, or they cannot massacre the Bria now, it has to go on for later. And that's why on the day that the Muraglim came back, which was Tishabov, correct? Ninth day of Av, right? On that day is a day of Peronia, is suffering to Klai Yisrael, because what happened on Tishabov? The base Amigdish was destroyed, right, by the Romans, and the first one by the Babylonians, right? What does that indicate? That's the dominion of the Sutton of Akai Yisrael, you see. Because their Chet was Lashon Hara, they split Yisrael from Malchus tremendously. Therefore, it re-established not only the place of the Sutton in the Bria, but the dominion of the Sutton, and that was reflected in the day of Tishabov, which is a day of the Choban of the Beis Amigdish, both of them, which is a complete reflection of the dominion of the Sutton of Akaisel, which, of course, exactly what happened by the Romans. That is, Mamish the Shlita, where Rome destroyed the Beis Amigdish, of course, to begin the true Golas, which is the reflection of the dominion of the Sutton of Akaisel. And the last event which I will mention is when again do we find that Yosef and Yehuda were split? By Rechavim and Yerovim. Again, Rechavim was Malchus, David, and Yerovim is Ephraim. Was split. Why? Because the Gemara says that David HaMelech accepted or believed Lashon Hara on Mephibosheth. And at that time when he believed Lashon Hara on Mephibosheth, the Gemara says that the Xera came out and said that your kingdom will be split. Yerovim will be split from Yerovim. Why? Because when, Yis- when David was Makabal and Hara, what happened? He split Yisrael from Malchus, which automatically meant that Yerovim and Yerovim also had to be split because that's literally Yehuda and Yosef or, or Yisrael being split. And it's interesting that Yosef, who is Yisrael, he spoke Lashon Hara. And David, who is Malchus, which is receiving in, he believed Lashon Hara. It's interesting how each one worked it his own way. But in any case, that's why the Xerah was 
after he believed Lashnarm if he pushes, that's why Yehuda and Yosef, which are really at that time Rahab and Yerovim, or Yehuda and uh, and of course Klai Yisrael, Yisrael and Yehuda, that is why they were split. Same idea. What have we seen so far? The enormous devastating consequences of Lashnara. However, it's taking us down a completely different road. Until now we saw that the premius of Lashnara, which is real premius, is of course is that because you speak Lashnara, you invoke the Kitrug, the prosecution against you, Midikaneged Mida. Since you spoke Lashnara, the Sultan can speak Lashnara about you, which is a Kitrug, it's a prosecution. This is what we saw, and that invokes a din. And then if you are, of course, found guilty, then he can be unique from your Kedusha, whatever it is. He can be unique. That is its premise, and that premise answered an enormous amount of questions, which I had mentioned, in, of course, in the Russian horror tapes. However, in this tape, we see a different premise from a completely different framework. We see the premise of Russian horror from the Ruchnistiger framework, and we see why it's so devastating. That Lashen Hora is able to be pagan, the suit from the Marcus, because the tongue is reflected or is, a, is the a human analog, an anatomical analog of Yisuit. What does it do? It um, splits Yisuit from Marcus, it allows the Sutton to be unique from Yisuit, he's able to give Zerma into the Bria and cause incredible amount of havoc, and of course, he's able to even have dominion over Adam. And the way to release this is to reverse it, masakin it, which of course the mitzvah mila we see is the exact mitzvah, which is the exact analog of what has to be done, is to reconnect Yisoyed Machus. That is called the Pekida. And of course the Zechira, is, after it's released, of course everything is then revealed. So the analog, of course, is to masakin and to bring back Yisoyed in Machus. And the way that's done is, of course, don't speak Lashon Hara, so that's masakin the peh, as a result of that, and that is uh, that is the way that Yisroel can be in to Malchus. Therefore, what we've seen by looking at some of the history in the Chumash, literally how it goes on as a result of Yisroel Malchus, we've seen therefore how events can actually be described this way, and we've seen, of course, that uh, that um, uh, if you bring back Yisroel Malchus, which is the pekida then that's the beginning of the Geula. We understand why, of course, Lashon Hara is so, Shmir Salashim rather, not speaking Lashon Hara, is so pivotal to the Geula of Klai Yisrael. It is not merely a luxury item. It's necessary to re- uh, reconnect Yisrael Malchus in the Elomus Elionis, in the higher worlds, and then the Geula happens here, the Pekido, which is the release of all the Neshamas and the Echido of the Mashiach, because... Evil, of course, has no more dominion because Yisrael Malchus is connected and he loses his ability, of course, to control the Bria. This is <clears throat> what we see. So therefore, Shmir Salashin is very important. And that's why I say, if you recall, well, it's not on this tape, it's on another tape, 20th century tapes, but uh, that in 1871, the Chofetz Chaim wrote the Sefer Chofetz Chaim, which are the laws of, uh, of course, Lashon Haram, in the exact same year that Germany united for the first time in history. Because you need Shmir Salashin once Germany is going to unite. And we know Germany is bad news for the Jews. Without going into who Germany is, which I talked about in another tape. Um, that's why the Chofetz Chaim, the Roshim, sends down a Shefa, a Hisairus, an awakening, an arousal on the Chofetz Chaim to write Shmir Salashin when he's going to bring the Gula imminently. 
And therefore, and, and we know of course that the Chofetz Chaim began to write the Hagdoma Tishmir Saloshin in, in uh, 1867, four years before 1871, four years before Bismarck United Germany, uh, in order to begin this process. And as I had pointed out, uh, in 1990, who knew that Germany would be united again? We see what's going on every day in the political events, where even Russia is capitulating, of course, to Germany. Germany and Russia are going to go hand in hand with the U.S., and of course, that's the beginning of the end. As they begin to, of course, go against Israel, Eretz Israel. And therefore, uh, four years ago, 1986, Shmir Saloshin began, again, because Shmir Saloshin must be intact before the true messianic process, process begins, because Yisoyed has to again reconnect to Malchus, and of course this begins in the same year of 1990, when of course the, uh, the, the ghoul of course is, is uh, obviously beginning, Tavshinun, which is of course 95,750. And also, which I have not mentioned, but just to mention, that is also the reason for the defects of the Mashiach, because of Lashon Hara. Because as we know, Moshe Rabbeinu was what? He was a Kfad Peh and Kfad Lashon, the Torah says. Why? Because since the major defect in Klai Israel was that Yisoyed was split from Malchus, the Lashon and the Peh, therefore he was a Kfad Peh, Kfad Lashon, because the Mashiach mirrors the damage uh, that Klai Israel has. In fact, he suffers in the sins of Klai Israel in order to help them atone. So he mirrors their Chatoim, Bahum it says in Yeshayin and Gimel, that he is a mirror image of the sins of Jews, so therefore Moshe Rabbeinu had the Pagam in the Loshan, of course, just the way Kleinstrel had um, altogether. And that also indicates other ideas what the Yisurun of Mashiach is, because also the Yisurun is mirrored after the Indian of Loshan Hara, because he suffers also in whatever the damages are as a result of Loshan Hara. Uh, this is the Premiums uh, of Lashon Hara from a completely different standpoint. All this goes to uh, illustrate how important it is not to speak Lashon Hara. And uh, by not speaking Lashon Hara, that's why it says that if somebody does not speak Lashon Hara, he's Makariv the Gula, right? He actually brings the redemption closer. Why? Now you understand it from a different level altogether because he reconnects his Suid Malchus, and when that's reconnected, of course, there's a Tikkun to Malchus, because Malchus now can receive its proper Shefa, its proper uh, nourishment, so to speak, its proper force, which it receives from Yisoyed, it's able to receive that, and as a result of that, result, result of the Tikkun of Malchus, the Rebbeim is able to, of course, reveal himself. As it says in Aleinu, Lesaken Oilam, the Malchus Shakai, to rectify the world with the kingdom, the Malchus, the sphere of Malchus of the Rabbanu as a result of the fact that the person doesn't speak 